Welcome to the Smarticle Podcast, where we take a good article and make it gooder. Happy Faith Fridays to our faithful listeners of the Smarticle Podcast. It's a double down of faith, Brandon, because this is our Christmas show. And if you don't celebrate Christmas, I know in your house it's Diwali, Brandon. <laughs> uh, others might be Kwanzaa. Uh, so starts on the 20, starts, Kwanzaa starts on the 27th, so it's right around the corner. Okay, that's great. Um, we, of course, on Faithful Fridays, go to Richard Rohr from the Center for Action and Contemplation. They did a really great uh, weekly um, section on the winter solstice. Let me read it to you from Richard Rohr, who's speaking about the surprising nature of the incarnation. Quote, we see in the original gospel stories of Jesus' birth that there really is nothing pretty about the first Christmas. The only way human beings can understand spiritual things is that they have to be presented in physical, material form. We can't get it otherwise. We have to see it. And we have to touch it. How God comes into the world would seem to be very important, as if to say to us, is this where God is to be found? The great question has always been, what is God? Who is God? Where is God hiding? Hiding, excuse me. Where is God being revealed? Not in the safe world, but at the edge, at the bottom, amongst those where we don't want to find God. Here's how I'd like to start, Brandon. I'm kind of, I don't know where I am necessarily with the Bible. I believe it's a, uh, it was real-ish. So am I supposed to believe, as a person of faith or not of faith, that Jesus really came into the world as a little tiny baby and was in the manger and the star was there and the shepherds came and then, uh, am I supposed to believe all that? I don't know. <laughs> To answer Thank your question, you. I don't know if you're supposed yes. to believe that or not. I think that, you know, I, I can hear the the people out there, the evangelicals, you you have to believe. If you don't believe, you're going to burn in hell, right? Well, I don't think, in my view, that God has a problem with doubt. I mean, we have the story of yeah. of, to of doubting Thomas. I mean, he needed to feel the marks in Jesus' hand. So that whether that's apocryphal or a metaphor or whatever it is, clearly the writers of Scripture said, hey, people doubt, and that's okay. But I think when you say, should I believe that, I don't know. And and I'll premise this by, first off, I'm going to say Merry Christmas to you, Larry, and Merry Christmas Thank to you. the folks. Because I Happy do Kwanzaa celebrate Christmas, you and, yours. Okay. and you celebrate Christmas. And I was I was out with somebody recently, and they were saying, we, we, we celebrate Christmas, but we don't celebrate the Christian Christmas. And I was like, oh. cool, because it is pretty much cool. a cultural holiday, and yeah. you don't have to, there's nothing wrong with celebrating Christmas is a cultural holiday. I think some people freak out. I was talking to Halloween's a cultural hobby as well. Uh, holiday. holiday. Yeah. yeah. And I was talking to a friend who was like, oh, I don't like the fact that they're taking Jesus out of Christmas. I'm like, what are you talking oh. about? It was a pagan holiday that they just co-opted. Yeah. So whatever. You. Go ahead and feel free to do whatever you want with it. I don't care. But I was, you know, I was reflecting when when I read this about this idea of what is Christmas. And I don't know why this one struck me. I've heard this a million times, obviously, about Christmas and the story of the nativity and you know, in a manger, and you realize so much of the story has been whitewashed. Even you're saying, should I believe the Bible? Well, I don't know. Maybe you should or you shouldn't. But even if you do believe fundamentally, like at your core, you say, this is this is actually what happened. We oftentimes, especially in the West, I believe, whitewash it. We say, oh, little baby Jesus was yeah. born in a manger, and you get this intimacy oh. with all the animals around him, and everybody's like fawning over him. I'm like, here's the deal. He was born in a filthy barn filled with donkey poop in basically a trough that had hay in it, apparently. And, you know, it was not, it's like, it wasn't like Mary and Joseph could call out to the local midwife 
to help Matt if there was a problem. I was thinking about all these people that have babies and they've got, they're in hospitals and how dangerous having a baby is and how hard it is and how women suffer. Anybody that's ever been through that process with their spouse or have, has had a baby knows it is a messy, hard business, right? Yeah. So she's delivering this baby in this place that is dirty and nondescript and unimportant. And Roar kind of points that out. It's like, we need to understand that if we in fact believe that Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, came down to earth, that it was with a very purposeful mindset, a reason of doing that. He could have been born the son of a king, right? He could have been born, if, if you believe that God is what God is, that God can do anything. Why is he chosen to be born in this such an absolutely low manner, if that's the case? Why did they write this? Forget again whether or not it happened, but why did the writers choose to do it this way? And I believe it's because, and what Roar's saying is that we have to, we have to see the brokenness of the earth in order to love the earth. If we just see things through the lens of a, uh, what do they call those those vacations you go on where everything's taken care of for you, the all encompassing or whatever, you know, pay, all inclusive, all inclusive. Thank you. Um, if we just see the world through an all inclusive vacation to Cabo, we're not going to really truly ever s- understand the struggles of the world. And he talks about that in this article about, you know, why would God come in this way? And why do we we see it this way? It was sort of his Christmas homily called Incarnation at the Edge because it was at the edge of society where Jesus was born. He was not born in a nice hospital at Cal Pacific like where our kids were born. He was born, <laughs> he, he wasn't born at UCSF. He wasn't born in, in you know, Cedar sinai He was born in a dirty, basically, hut at the edge of society. He also talks about something I think is really important. He says, why did the writers include things about Herod and about the census and all? It was just to like make you feel good? No. The writers were trying to express and explain to the people that were following Jesus that this was a really, really challenging time in, in the history of these, of these people. They were an oppressed people. They were living under a tyrannical government. Um, people were being executed daily. It was bad, dude. He was born into a bad world. And in order to sort of understand what God's grace is, you have to understand that. So I believe like into my late thirties, I believed that there was an actual Adam and Eve until I've realized, no, that was a poem. So I'm now I'm sort of saying like, well, the Bible in general could just be a poem. And that this is a very beautiful poem of Jesus's birth. I will say, we know that Jesus was an actual real person because we have archeological evidence and and uh, facts from other sources other than the Bible that Jesus is a real person. So yeah. he had to have been born. So he had to have been a baby at some point, right? Right. Uh, and we could debate the miracle birth part. To me, it doesn't matter, right? If God put a baby in a woman, a normal one, or or not, it doesn't. All, all the, I just want to take all the fictitiousness out of it. And this story, if you take the break it down to what you just said, is a baby being born in hay just like I was born. And we can all relate to that. Yeah. And I'm just, I'm trying to come to grap- grapple with, hey, what's the poem and what's real and what matters to me? Well, what you're saying is what you believe could be fictitious. So let's just, let's just assume that it's all fictitious or that it's all true. It, it really yeah. doesn't change the narrative. To me, it When doesn't. he says, well, and I think it shouldn't change that narrative for anybody, right? Well... Um, Roar says, where is God revealed? Not in the safe world, but on the edge. He says, the Advent narratives demand that we take the political and economic world of Roman Palestine seriously. The gospel writers name the empires of Caesar and Herod not for dramatic effect. 
They didn't mention a census or massacre for literary flourish. The gospel writers used contextual markers to describe in concrete ways the turmoil of the times that hosted the first advent. That, to me, is what's important. That that the gospel writers chose, this is placed in a really bad time. So right now, if you were talking again about, like, let's just say God was born today. In this story... Somalia. Yeah, Somalia, or in the poorest county in America, in Harlan County, in a dilapidated trailer, right? Even that would probably be too good for this. But it would be a baby born in a place of a war-torn place, an oppressed place, a poor place, with broken and oppressed people, and that he was going to lead those broken and oppressed people. And what I guess what I really liked about this is that what what you and I were born into was the inverse of that. We were born into the wealthiest country in the history of the world, We were born into the country that had more than any other country, the most powerful militarily, all these things that are absolutely the inverse of what the world Jesus was born into. So I actually think it's harder for us in this Western world to truly understand this story in the way it was meant to be understood than anyone else. I really do believe that. Yeah. And once again, we've heard it so many times. We just kind of, it just is. But imagine if you were trying to tell this story to someone who never had heard about it. <laughs> I think it would have a completely different meaning. And I feel like that is actually kind of how we're supposed to, you're kind of giving me this different perspective of the political and getting out of the little baby Jesus with the nice wings and the angels. Like yeah. that that's kind of what matters in the fluffy poem, does it? Well, it's ironic because my daughter, Maple, just came up to uh, her mom and I a, lot, a couple of days ago and, and and said to us, mommy, you know, tell us, said, I need you to tell me the truth. Is Santa real? Oh, yeah. And she's going to be seven in two Uh-oh. weeks. So we were like, oh, we weren't anticipating this. Now, I'm a firm believer that Santa is a perfectly good model for how to teach kids how to be kind and thoughtful and it's ah. magical. I don't see any problem with it. Now, the reason she came to this was we have some Christian friends who we love, but they're of yeah. that Christian ilk who say you should never, ever tell your child that there's yeah. an Easter bunny or there's Santa oh, yeah. because that's okay. a lie and you're lying to your Grinch, children. Christian Grinches. Okay. Right. And here's the here's the funny part is you just laid it out. Like they're totally happy to tell a story about Jesus in a manger that may not be true because they believe it to be true. And but yet you yeah. tell them a story about Santa and they're losing their minds over it. But my point is, <laughs> is Maple's understanding, uh, we say the spirit of Santa is real. The spirit of giving and love yeah. and kindness is real. And that's what we focus on. And, and so we, it was a good conversation with a, as much as you can with a seven-year-old who's sort of having this these pillars of her life sort of pulled down. I don't have a problem in believing in Santa or Christmas or the music. I love it all. But I don't equate the two with like, oh, Jesus in a manger. It just doesn't, it doesn't cross-pollinate for me. Well, just what you're saying there, the spirit of this Jesus story in Christmas is real. I don't know if all the specifics are, but I believe the point that God made essentially through the Gospels is he was born in a really bad place in a manger, and we got to unpack it. The whole point of life is what is God? Who is God? Where is God hiding? And you got to try to bump into it somehow, because if you don't try to bump into it, you're just going to put your heart hat on and go to work every day. Yeah, and you and you just sort of accept. A number of years ago, I was at a school, and I was teaching a lesson on mythology, and I was saying, well, what are some American myths? And one kid's like, well, you know, like the Easter Bunny. and Paul Bunyan. I, and I said, yeah, Paul Bunyan. And I said, you know, like Santa Claus. Is, you know, 
And this is sixth graders, by the way, 12 or 13 year olds. And you would have thought that I had said the worst thing ever. I got more emails from that parents who were losing their minds because I had ruined their kids' childhood. And Ooh. luckily, the school was like, no, this is crazy. Developmentally, these kids should not still be believing in Santa Claus. You suck. Now, now the same thing could be said. Some people could argue, well, if you're teaching them the mythology of God, that's Uh-oh. you can't prove, then why is that any different than saying we're teaching them the mythology of Santa? Again, Ooh. faith is belief in the absence of proof. The difference between Santa and Jesus or God is we know where the presents come from, Larry. They you come do? from us. Yeah, they come from no. grandpa. They come from friends and family. We know that there's no Santa because we deliver those gifts. We don't know where the gift from God comes from. So we kind of have to take it on faith that there is this God that sent the embodiment of himself in this country. If we want to follow this, this faith journey, I guess. Two things. First of all, I hope Maple's not listening to the podcast. And <laughs> second of all, I think we need more teaching stories from you. We need to go back into the cr- classroom more often with you. <laughs> I love that you make fun of my my teaching experience. But Larry, I want to wish you oh. the most merry and most happy and most jolly Christmas for you and your Hanukkah? family. And Hanukkah, Hanukkah and Kwanzaa. That's a festivus for the rest Diwali? of us. Uh, Diwali. I think Diwali's earlier. I think it's early December. Yeah, but It was a um, couple of weeks ago. Yeah, I think it's a while ago. But Festival Lights, however way you're going to do it, I want you to, to celebrate this season, find joy in it, but also don't forget that we are called to look at the edges, Larry. So thank you once again for teaching me.